Good morning. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here. It's a joy to gather with you. It's a joy to sit underneath the word of Christ along with you as well. Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We will spend our time there. I don't know about you, but these few days this past week that we got to experience warm weather, that was a major tease. But it majorly got down inside of my heart, inside of my bones, getting me ready, expectant for spring. The poor flowers and trees out there that are sticking out their buds, hopefully they will not get destroyed. They, always, they get teased too. Uh, and it is an excitement for spring. We're tired of this season. I'm tired of this season that is marked by cold. It's marked by rain, wet, saturated ground, the coronavirus. All that just has to go. And spring is a time that is marked by life, by fragrance, by health. Corona might still be around, but I'm hoping for it to leave. Spring is a good time that we are looking forward to. The newness of spring. And the newness of the spring reminds us of the newness of Jesus. The life-giving power of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. As we experience the seasons, we get drawn into that sort of awareness, that sort of biological or seasonal awareness of the kingdom of God, the glory of God in Jesus that he is bringing. It's very natural for us to do, to hope for spring. It'd be very odd for us to hold on to winter, would it not? Who in this room is dying to hold on to the winter season? It'd be strange. But in fact, in the Bible, we see a group of people who are doing that exact thing. We're going to see, according to the Bible, that one of the temptations of the flesh is to hold on to the old, to hold on to winter, a winter of self-righteousness, self-glory, a winter of suffering. And who we're going to see this morning specifically to draw out this principle is we're going to be looking at the Pharisees and John's disciples. And what they are coming to Jesus and the disciples, Jesus' disciples, they have a question. They have a question, and it's all revolving around fasting, the practice of fasting. These Pharisees, they have their old ways of doing things, and they are not ready for the new. Jesus' disciples are not fasting, and they can't make sense of it. And so they're holding on to winter as they reject Jesus in the kingdom of God. And the hope this morning for us, this morning, for us is that we would not reject Jesus. We would accept Jesus. We would embrace Jesus above and beyond and as far surpassing in joy and glory than our self-made religion, than our self-righteousness. We all have places here where we are weak. We love our own performance. We love looking at ourselves in the mirror. And what we see today is that if we do that, if we continue in that pattern at a fundamental level, we are rejecting Christ and Christ will be of no value to us. So the hope is we will embrace Christ and a gospel of grace this morning. Let's pray for the Lord's help. Father, we thank you 
that you are a God of all grace, a God of comfort, a God of peace, a God of glory, and a a God of joy. We pray this morning, God, that we would have the grace to let go of our own glory, and we'd be given eyes to behold your supreme worth and value and beauty. Would we have the faith to stop resting on our own doing, our own actions, and that we would rest and take joy in the finished work of Jesus Christ? We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. So we begin here in verse 18. I'm going to read just 18 through 20. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples, they came to Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So the question is fasting. It's one of fasting. It's religious practice, religious observation. And both these groups of people are fasting. Jesus' group is not fasting. The Pharisees, they, they turned fasting into, into very much their own self-righteousness, Uh, It was only commanded by the law one day of the year, but by this time, it had basically, they had turned it into being commanded twice a week. It was something that every seriously, uh, every person that was seriously interested in matters of religion and honoring God, it's what you did. This was your badge of sort of religious honor that you would wear. I'm a faster, therefore I'm serious about God, therefore I'm holy. John's disciples, we don't know exactly why they were fasting, but it's most likely directly in line with what he was teaching, a a fasting from, uh, it's in line with repentance of sin. Fasting is very common in the Old Testament. It's seen in moments of desperation and sorrow to show that you are serious about your sin. You would fast. You would stop eating. And so for both of these groups, fasting was very serious, and they took it very seriously. And so there's a shock to their system that's happening in this moment. As we looked last week, there's this uh, other uh, interesting thing that Jesus does where he's, it's, not that he, it's not that he's fasting, he's actually feasting with the Gentiles, with these sinners and tax collectors. And it could be that this is happening, that there was maybe a culturally appropriate time to fast, the course of their week, this evening when Jesus sits down to feast. And so there's potential here that it's just doubly shocking. All the holy people around here, all the seriously religious folks, they're all stopping eating. They're all going to fast right now. And then we're looking inside of these doors, and there's this rabbi, and he's feasting. He's having a party with these sinners and tax collectors. And so the whole category of their traditional ways of doing things and being holy is being blown to smithereens right now. They can't make sense of it. Not only is Jesus and the disciples not fasting, but they are 
feasting. And the main point that Jesus then brings up is that religious practice must be consistent with the truth as it is in Christ. Any sort of religious practice must be consistent with the truth as it is in Christ. Fasting symbolizes sorrow. Feasting symbolizes celebration and praise. So there's a consistency between the heart and the outward manifestation of that heart. Jesus drives that point home with the illustration of a bridegroom. What are the emotions, the feelings that you have when you are with a bridegroom? And this is not like This is not a 30-minute service with maybe an hour and a half reception tagged on the end of it, like we're kind of used to in our day. These were major points of celebration, like days, weeks, a week or two party to celebrate this groom. And if you're with the groom, you're pumped. It is an awesome occasion. His presence there, what's happening in his life, he's going to be marrying this bride. God's brought them together It's a glorious thing that you're a part of. So you're pumped up to be there. It's an awesome moment. It's a celebration in your heart. It's happy here. Significant party, consistent with significant joy. And so if you happen to look at a wedding and everybody was not celebrating and rather they were crying and they were mourning and they were feeling sorry for themselves and sorry for everything, you would say, that's the oddest wedding I've ever seen. Jesus is saying, I mean, this is one of those dove moments for the audience. Like, yes, we get that, Jesus. Everyone understands that. You don't see people crying at a Wedding. Maybe when the door is open and the bride comes down, everybody starts crying, but that's a moment of joy. Those are tears of joy. Sorrow should lead to fasting. Celebration should lead to feasting. But then Jesus goes one step farther and he says, this is actually further dependent on a truth. Not just any truth, but the truth as it is revealed in Jesus. The groom's presence fundamentally alters the heart posture for anybody around the groom. There's a fundamental shift in reality that the groom is here. And this is where Jesus begins to nod, give a nod to his identity. He's calling himself the bridegroom. He's the one that's here. This is also astonishing truth, hard for his hearers to digest and understand. Because in the Old Testament... God is referred to as the groom. God loves his people. He's on passionate pursuit of his people. But there's sin in the way. There's all this, there's junk in the way, but in that relationship. But God is on a pursuit of his bride, and his bride is Israel. His bride is the people of God. That's the only way that, it's one of the ways that the prophets, it's the only language they can grab to really try to capture this passion, this intimacy, this love that God has for his people. And Jesus uses those words now, and he's basically saying, I am that person. I am the bridegroom. I am God. I am God. So that's his identity, but he's also showing, he's giving nod here too, as well to his mission. His mission as the the bridegroom is to unite, 
to be united with the bride. Jesus is not going to let anything stand in the way between his relationship, the relationship between himself and his people. To give them ultimate and eternal joy. And so he says, that's why my disciples don't fast. How could they? How could my disciples be fasting right now? Because now is a time of celebration. Now is a time to party. The Messiah is here. The longed-for one is here. The, the, the bridegroom of the people of God is here. The rescuer of the whole world to redeem all things, to make all things new, to forgive all sins, to make his people righteous. That person is here to bring everlasting life and joy and freedom to his people. That person is here. So why and how in the world can the disciples be fasting right now? How are you going to fast when he's here? When the greatest celebration, the greatest party this universe could ever experience is being inaugurated. Not a time to be sad. Not at all. The reason why, he's saying the reason why that y'all are fasting and not feasting is because you are basing your religion on something other than the truth as it is in Christ. Your fasting is coming out of a different set of truths. And it's false. They're lies. You're basing, you're basing your relationship on, uh, on God on lies. Fasting on lies. Trying to earn righteousness before God. Trying to put stars on your name tag. A place of trying to, to earn this acceptance when, when God is saying in Christ Jesus, acceptance has already been given. It must be based on Christ they're basing it on something else. As, as Dr. Aiken says, the big question is not why the disciples didn't fast, but why didn't the Pharisees feast and celebrate the presence of the Messiah? That's the real question here. Don't be asking why Jesus and his followers aren't fasting. Why are you not feasting? Well, they didn't have the eyes to see it. They didn't have the faith to see it. They didn't have the repentance to see it. They're stuck in their self-religious, prideful traditions. They're stuck in winter, not able to receive spring. But Jesus then turns and he says, There is, however, coming a time when my disciples will fast, when the bridegroom is taken away. And this is interesting. This goes back to his identity and his mission because the bridegroom, what's, a, what's shocking here is the bridegroom is never taken away, right? It's not, that, it's not that even he would leave, like maybe the bridegroom gets some cold feet before the big day and he says, I'm out of here, and he just disappears. That would, I guess, be appropriate, but that's not what's happening here. The bridegroom is not leaving. He's being taken away, and the, the, the language here, the ancient language used here, is actually of by force. It, it combines this, this feeling of force, an emphatic force that's violently ripping the bridegroom away. He's being captured. He's being removed by force against his will. This is a nod to the cross. Of course, we know Jesus goes there according to his will and the will of the Father. But the point stands, there are people that are coming to capture him and to remove him. He's talking about the cross here. By force, 
Jesus is put upon that cross. This is Mark's first reference to the cross of Christ. It's, of course, in alignment with the will of God because this is the price that must be paid. This is the price the bridegroom knows that he must pay in order to get into right relationship with his bride, the people of God. Why would the disciples then fast on that day? Because sorrow enters the heart. Because the groom is gone. The groom is ripped away and he's put up on a cross. Because evil is on full display and personal sin is on full display. There it is. That's how bad we are. That's what it costs. That was the price that it cost to get us, to redeem us. And there it is, the greatest evil to ever happen in this universe, the crucifixion of the Son of God, the innocent, righteous Lamb of God. So you're going to mourn in that day, and it's still going to be consistent. It's going to be consistent with heart posture. It's a sad day. But praise God, the story doesn't end there. Three days later, Jesus starts breathing he comes out of the grave. Resurrection happens. Doesn't stay dead. He's alive. The groom is back. He appears to all the disciples. Like at that moment, stop your sorrow. Sin, death, the devil, it's all been overcome once and for all. Let's celebrate. But of course, we know that Jesus leaves again, this time not by force, this time more by his, his own will. He just leaves. He ascends to the Father. He sends down the Holy Spirit. The church is born. That's what happens. And so how are we now to consider fasting, spiritual practice? Well, there's an already and there's a not yet. Already, through Christ's death and resurrection, his life, death, and resurrection, His work has been finished. He is sitting at the right hand of God. We have been forgiven of our sin. We have been, past tense, made righteous. The new heavens and the new earth have been purchased for us. There is a wedding feast that is awaiting all believers in Christ. Be with Him, our groom. That day is coming. We are, as the church, eternally bound to the Godhead because of what Christ has done. That cannot ever change. It's permanent, sealed by blood. But we also know that Jesus is not here. We also know that uh, while His presence is here by the Holy Spirit, He's not. we're not with Him in bodily form. We know that this world is still filled with devils, is still filled with the devil, still filled with sin and evil and wickedness and disease and frustration, right? The coronavirus is, is an example of all that. We're not, we're not there yet. So what are we supposed to do? Are, are we supposed to be sorrowful or are we supposed to be celebrating? And the Bible says, for us, you're to do both. You're to be, as 2 Corinthians 6 says, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We are to do both. We can grieve rightly in this world. It is worth grieving. It is so incredibly painful. And we should want to get out of it. This is not our home. It's not the way God designed it to be. Isn't what Paul says? 
Philippians, I desire to be with the Lord. That is far better. <laughs> By far, get me out of this world. I want to be with him. But for your sake, I'm going to stay. It's better for your account that I stay. And I'm giving my life to testify to the goodness of God and the glory of Jesus Christ and the grace shown in the gospel. There's something wrong with wanting to be out of here. It'd be wrong if you wanted to stay. If you wanted winter. That would be wrong. But it'd also be wrong to, want, or to, to, to not only grieve this, to fully grieve, like to grieve it to, into a place where you're, there's no more hope, right? You can make the equal wrong error in acknowledging how bad this place is, but, you, but going to despair or not having any celebration in your heart. And the Bible is very clear. We are to rejoice always. We're always to have both in our hearts and we acknowledge that one is temporary and one is eternal. So we grieve, but it won't grieve as those without hope. We mourn as those with an eternal abiding hope. It cannot be taken away from us. Whatever life may throw at us, we are safe in the presence and in the will and love of our God and Father. We are safe. So then, should we fast specifically? Well, maybe, but not necessarily. Nowhere in the New Testament does it prescribe that we as the church, after this new inauguration of the kingdom of God and Jesus, are to be fasting. But also nowhere does it forbid us to fast. It does clearly forbid us to fast for any sort of external religious performance points. That is clearly forbidden. But if you are sorrowful, if you are sad, it's an appropriate response. To say, I'm just not going to eat. How can, how can I eat right now? Life is so bad. That would be appropriate. But we must, however, whatever we choose to do about fasting or any other spiritual discipline, it must be consistent with the truth that is revealed in Christ. Rooted in the love of God that has already been given to us in Christ. Rooted in the performance of Christ, not ourselves. I say, Big line being drawn in the sand right here. Same practice in some ways as coming over from, from Judaism to Christianity, but entirely different motive, at least the wrong motive that these uh, scribes and Pharisees were, were getting used to. Right? You can still fast, but do not do it for the reasons you used to. It's an expression of grief on the backside of salvation, not some sort of means by which you would obtain salvation. Those things are eternally apart from one another. Paul says in Galatians 2, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the broader application point here, because we're probably not all a bunch of fasters in this room. So it's like, where is this relevant? This is relevant for any point you think you're earning before God based on anything that you do. Call it prayer. Call it Bible study. Call it coming into these doors this morning. Whatever action we do that we are tempted to then put a little star in our name tag, however subtle, Christ then is of no value. 
That's Paul's point in Galatians. If you accept one, one just one ounce of, of action, of merit, if you accept that, you've got to go all the way. You've got to fulfill the whole law. And who can do that? So we can't. We have to give up any sort of religious action this morning that would cause us to have a sense of merit. No, salvation. That's why Paul says the grace of God. I'm not nullifying the grace of God because it's the only way that we're saved. By faith alone in what Christ has done on our behalf. Before we were even born, before we even had, had any sort of faith to believe or apprehend it, Christ already did that on our behalf. And then Jesus gives two illustrations to lay out this principle. First is of a garment, verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and the worst tear is made. So then the garment, it might have been good, but it's, it's, it's no longer being used. It needs to be thrown out. And this garment is destroyed if you try to put a new patch on it. So old has to go with old, new has to go with new. Shows that more clearly in, in the next verse, 22. Second illustration about wineskins. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. These jars that they would have were made out of wineskins. It would strip animals and take these skins. And, and when they were fresh, they had this elasticity. They were flexible. So you could pour liquid in it. You could pour wine in it. And as wine ferments and bubbles and expands, the, the skins expand, expand along with the wine. So there becomes problems because at some point it stops expanding. It becomes old and it becomes hard. So if you try to put new wine into old wineskins, that new fermentation process is going to break the old skin and you're going to lose the wine. So you get a double fail. Your jar is broken and you have no wine to drink. Both of these stories illustrate that there is a new way that Jesus is inaugurating for us to relate to God. A new way that's not through works of the law. It's not through performance it's through faith, faith in Christ. Fasting does not need to be observed from a religious standpoint by Jesus' disciples. It can be practiced as a means of expressing sorrow, but not as a means of obtaining salvation. Warren Wearsby sums this up well. Aiken closes his commentary on this chapter with this. I think it's beautiful. It's a little dense, so listen carefully. But it's perfectly clear. Jesus came to usher in the new, not to unite it with the old. The Mosaic economy was decaying, getting old, and ready to vanish away. Jesus would establish a new covenant in his blood. The law would be written on human hearts, not on stones. And the indwelling Holy Spirit would enable God's people to fulfill the righteousness of the law. Salvation then, not a partial patching up of one's life. It is a whole new robe of righteousness that we are putting on. It's not a mixing of the old and the new. Rather, it is the fulfillment of the old in the new, in Jesus. Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies, all the types, and all the demands of the law of Moses. The law was ended at Calvary when the perfect sacrifice was once for all offered for the sins of the world. 
And he goes on, when you trust Jesus Christ, you become part of a new creation. And there are always new experiences of grace and glory. How tragic then when people hold on to dead religious tradition when they could lay hold of living spiritual truth. Why cherish the shadows when the reality has come? In Jesus Christ, we have the fulfillment of all that God has promised. As believers in Christ this morning, we are new creations. And we are awaiting a massive banquet filled with inexpressible joy and glory. There is coming a day we will sit down with the Lamb of God. We will sit down at His table and enjoy a meal. New wine will be poured and we will drink it for everlasting to everlasting. A cup and a wine that symbolizes the cup of joy that we now receive instead of a cup of wrath. That Jesus drank all this on our behalf and He is then glad, church, he is happy to sit down at that table on the backside of his crucifixion with us. He is happy to do that. He is excited about all of us taking our place at that table. That spring is here. It's been inaugurated, and it is coming in its fullness. Would we not hold on to anything this morning? If we hold on to our religion, if we hold on to our pride, then that table is not for us, and we will be cut off forever. This morning, if you're not a believer in Christ, repent. Repent. Confess your sin before God and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and as your perfect substitute and the groom who loves you passionately and who desires you for all eternity. May we all be encouraged this morning. Salvation is by grace. We start by grace. We continue by grace. We get there by grace. May the Lord be praised now and forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for such a wonderful salvation. God, even as the church, we still stumble, God. We fall into old habits, fall into pride. We fall into wanting to justify ourselves before man and with the ways of this world. Forgive us, God for resting in our own efforts. And we take up afresh, God, your salvation, your glory, your grace, displayed in perfect wonder and amazement on the cross. We receive hope again, God, for an alien righteousness and for a joy that is, that is ours purely of grace, purely as a gift. We receive it now, God, and we ask that we would be your witnesses on this earth, carrying the fragrance of spring out into this dark, cold world. Would you do great things through our church, God? It's in your name we pray for your glory. Amen.